Five years ago, I baptized a lady. Her name is Wanda, out in California. And about a week before Wanda was to be baptized, she came up to me and she said, Pastor, I've noticed that when you baptize people, you only say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. She said, when you baptize me, will you say, in the name of the Father, his Son, Jesus, or his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit? And I said to Wanda, I said, sure, I'll try to remember that. Kind of just flippantly, okay, I'll try to remember that. And she said, no, Pastor, I need you to do that. It is very important that you say Jesus' name when you baptize me. And I told her, I said, one, I don't really think the words that I say matter so much. It's really kind of a tradition, a formal thing. They don't really matter as much as the commitment of your heart. She said, Pastor, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven or earth by which man can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And so I need you to say his name. And I see some of you agree with her. (laughs) At this point, for no other reason than I'm just stubborn, I was a little bit annoyed. I was thinking, I do it my way. You you do your thing, which is go under the water, and I'll do my thing, which is put you under the water. Just remember, I'm the one putting you. I can... But also, I was a little bit concerned that she thought this was so important to her faith, and so I decided to use the condescending method of approach at this point, and I told her, I'm pretty sure Jesus knows who we're talking about when I say his son without saying his name. Pastor, I just need you to do this. I said, all right, Wanda, I'll do it. Just seconds before we stepped into the baptismal tank a week later, She leans over to me and whispers in my ear, now don't forget to say Jesus' name. Don't just say son. Well, I did, and I've since evolved it because I actually like saying it as well. But I tell you this story because to me, the people who I baptized when I just said Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are no more baptized than those whom I baptize now that I say Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And for Wanda to make a a big deal out of something that to me seemed almost like a a superstition concerned me to the point that I was willing to argue with her and try to correct her in that moment, try to to fix her, her way of thinking. I am so glad, and I say that story to lead into what we're going to talk about today, I am so glad that, that I am to be like Jesus and Jesus is not to be like me. Amen? Open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, chapter 6 and verse 46, and we're going to just quickly go through a few verses before we get to our main story. Mark, chapter 6, beginning in verse uh, 56. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can read whatever Bible version you are comfortable with. Mark, chapter 6 and verse 46. And whenever he came, and this is speaking of Jesus, In villages or cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched the fringe of his garment were made well. Just one book earlier in the book of Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14 verses 35 
and 36. And then the men came of that place, and, the- and when the men of that place recognized him, recognized Jesus, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him, they implored Jesus, they asked of Jesus that they might only touch the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. And then a famous story that appears three times in the four gospels, appears in three out of the four gospels, the healing of the woman who was hemorrhaging blood for a number of years. And today we'll look at Luke's version as we go through that story, Luke chapter eight. And let me set this story up for you in Luke chapter eight. The scene of the story is this, Jairus, a leader of the synagogue, has come and asked, requested that Jesus come to his house and heal his daughter. And so Jesus is on his way to, to, to minister to Jairus and his family and to heal his daughter. And there's swarms and swarms of people around him. And that is where we'll pick it up in, in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 42. And as Jesus went, he's going to Jairus' house, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Before I get back to the main point of my sermon, I want to pause here for just a moment. As I was studying this passage and thinking about this passage, I realized that in all three Gospels, uh, if you, you notice, there's stories that are, are, are in all the Gospels, but not all the details are always the exact same. They're, they're seen from different perspectives, or, or they may highlight a specific area as more important than the other. But in all three of the story, this story, uh, in all three of the Gospels that this story takes place, they specifically mention that this woman was sick for 12 years. And that turned my mind for a moment to four other stories that I'm familiar with in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, in which there are specific details of this nature given. One where a woman who was possessed for 18 years, the Bible specifically says, is delivered. Another in the book of Acts where, where uh, a man is bedridden for eight years. He's paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And then, of course, the, the story of the man who was healed uh, at, by the pool who had been an invalid for 38 years. And then there's a story of the the young man who was healed or or set free from demon possession who threw himself in in the fire. And the Bible tells us, the father tells us in the story that his son had been that way since childhood. And I thought for a moment, does the Lord just give us these time frames to show us that he is powerful over anything, even the things that that have been controlling us for so long? Or does he do it to encourage us that healing always comes, but it comes in different time frames and in different ways? I can't imagine that with any of these people that they did not previously ask God to heal them. I can't imagine that there wasn't some family member who had said, God, please deliver my child. Please, please heal my child. And yet, in various time frames, 38 years, 18 years, 12 years, eight years since childhood, different time frames, all these people were healed. And we know also for some that healing comes after the resurrection. We need to teach that healing always happens. We just don't know the time frame of that healing, whether in the immediate, in the distant, or maybe not until the resurrection. It is something for us 
to notice. And I think maybe God put, inspired those, those time frames to be in there to remind us that, that things happen in different courses of time for different people. But let me go back to the story and the, the point I wanted to make of the story with the woman. With the woman here, Genesis, or, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 42. And Jesus went, and the people, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had to discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Verse 44. She came up behind him, and she touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said to Jesus, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before all before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The reference in Mark, the reference in Matthew, and the three references to this specific story in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Six, five references in the Bible of people touching the fringe, the edge of Jesus' garment, the hem of his garment, the border of his garment, and being healed. Now, maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe this is something that hasn't entered your mind. Maybe because the story is so familiar and you've gone through the, the story many different times, you, 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 you haven't paid attention to this or, or it hasn't struck you as odd. But I have to tell you that as a Protestant and as a student of the Bible, I have trouble. I have trouble with the idea of someone being able to touch a physical object and that produces healing, even if that physical object is Jesus's own clothes. I'm uncomfortable, uh, I'm uncomfortable with the idea that, that somehow this looks like some sort of magic potion. I'm uncomfortable in it, with it in the same way that I am uncomfortable with Wanda in that moment, thinking that I had to say specific words for her baptism to be complete. I'm uncomfortable with this. The Bible doesn't teach us that we are healed by, by a work of our own. The Bible doesn't teach us that if we, if we say this cantation or if we follow this little rule that, that we are healed. The Bible teaches that we are healed by faith in Jesus and by, by what is in our hearts. So then why were these people healed and why does the Bible specifically mention that it's when they touched the hem of Jesus' garment? In the Jewish culture, the hem of a garment was very significant. In our culture, we just want to make sure that the hems of the garment stay up high enough off the ground so that, so that we don't walk on them. I was in board meeting the other day. I have some jeans. Most of my jeans are probably a little bit too long. And I was in board meeting the other day, and I had some, some loose uh, uh, material that was hanging off the back of them from stepping on them and Elmer decided to come up and get down on his knees and cut off the end of my my jeans how's he know those weren't that fringe wasn't important to me no. 
No, fringe isn't important to me. I was like, hey, thanks, no problem. But, but within the Jewish culture, there, uh, the, the fringe of the garment began to, to signify something important. In the book of Numbers, you can go ahead and turn there, but in Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 39, the Lord spoke to Moses specifically about the fringes of the Jewish garments. The Lord said to Moses in verse 37 and verse 38, speak to the people of Israel and tell them, this is in Numbers chapter 15, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. To do them and not to follow after their own hearts and their own eyes, which they are inclined to whore after. These corners of the garments, God said, I want you to do this so that you remember me. But these corners of the garments, these, these hems of the garment, these fringes of the garments began to represent to the people of Israel more than just a piece of clothing, more than just something to remember. They began to communicate things about the people. They communicated who these people were. They communicated their status. It communicated to others the spiritual commitment that these individuals had. You might remember in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees for various issues. And one of the things that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23 is that they do deeds to be seen by others. And then immediately after that, Jesus says, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes, the fringes of their garments, long. Jesus understood that the fringes of someone's garment were important within Jewish society. And here the Pharisees were trying to get more attention by the way they decorated and why they, the way they ornamented their, the fringes of their garments. These things were important to them. It was more than just be, to be kept out of the dirt. And due to this importance, in time there, there came to be a belief, an, another important belief amongst the Jews. And to understand that, we have to understand the language that, uh, of Hebrew to, 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 to pick up that message. You see, in the book of Numbers, the word for fringe or hymn or borders of the garments, however the Bible, your Bible translates it, that word in the Hebrew is the word kanaf, the word kanaf. And while kanaf is translated a few places in the Bible as, as fringe or borders or, 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 or the hymn, in most places in the Bible, the Hebrew word kanaf is translated into our English as wings. We translate it as wings. And in the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, right before the book of Matthew, in the book of Malachi, which... Elder Chatham read today, Malachi chapter four and verse two. The Bible says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its kanaf. The same word that is used for fringe and, and the borders and the hem of a garment. Now let me share something with you. The text here is not referring to the son, S-O-N, of righteousness, but it's referring to the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. 
And the proper exegesis of this text is in the context of God's second coming. This text is is speaking of God's second coming. Malachi is writing in verse 1. He writes in verse 1. If you read verse 1, you'll see that Malachi is writing to the people. And he's saying when when God comes back, his glory, his power will consume the wicked. It will consume the wicked and they will be destroyed. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming when it shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Then verse two says, but you who fear my name, the son, S-U-N, of righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. It's talking about the glory of God and it's saying the same glory that consumes the wicked, the righteous will be healed and strengthened and empowered by that glory of God. The same righteousness, the same glory of God, it consumes those who have not chosen to to walk with God, to, to, to accept God as our savior. That same glory that consumes others actually heals and brings life to the righteous. It's talking about the glory of God at the second coming. That is the simple exegesis of Malachi chapter four, verses one and two. But the Jewish leaders, maybe they're scholars, and it still exists today. I was going through various writings of of Messianic Judaism and some others, and this idea still exists today. But they read this, and they saw in it a prophecy based on that word, kanaf. The text tells us that the sun will come with healing in its kanaf. In other words, the glory of God will come with healing in its rays, in its wings, in, in the outcasts of its glory. But when the Jews read this, they believed that when the Messiah came to this earth, there would be healing in his kanaf, the fringe, the borders, the hem of his garments. And this whole belief came up that the, 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 the fringe of the garments is important, but in the Messiah, not only is it important, but it has healing power. It has healing power. Y'all, this is not a right understanding of that passage in Malachi. And folk, there is nothing magical about clothing, not even the clothing of Jesus, For generations and generations, the papal system made money by selling indulgences. Some of those indulgences were supposed pieces of cloth from garments that that they they said they took from Jesus' swaddling when he was a baby or that they took from, from Jesus when he was on the cross, the cloth that was taken from him when he was on the cross. And, and these pieces of clothing that they would give, they'd cut them out and they'd, they'd actually give them to people and, and say there was power in them, power for forgiveness and power for, for healing. We speak out against such abuses as we should. As Protestants, we speak out against these abuses. But when we speak out, we need to be careful not to speak, to, we need to be careful that we are speaking against the abuses and not those who believe in such things. Because when I read the story of the woman who was bleeding through the eyes of her culture, I see a woman who has misinterpreted Malachi chapter four and verse two. When I hear the stories of, of the people who would, who would just hope to touch the edge of Jesus's garment as they pass by and, and God healed them in that little reach of faith, I see people who are healed based on a misunderstanding of a passage. 
But I also see a beautiful illustration of a gracious and a merciful and a faith-affirming Messiah. Because what these people were doing in touching his garment was not to them superstition. It was not to them magic. What this woman was doing when she reached out to touch that garment, she was declaring with her action, I believe you are my Savior. I believe you are the Messiah. That's why I believe that you have power in the fringe of your garment, because you are the Messiah. Jesus could have said to this lady, hey, you don't need to touch my garment to be healed. I know what's in your heart. He could have told her, hey, you have a, you have a misunderstanding of the text, and I need to correct your misaligned theology. But Jesus doesn't do that. When this woman is healed, he looks down at her and he says, woman, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. Maybe at some later date, Jesus came alongside of her and said, you know what? Your theology was a little bit off on this. Let me correct you. Maybe at some later day she, she understood that, that it was about more about the faith of her heart than the, than the reaching out and touching the hem of her garment. We don't know if Jesus corrected this ever or not. What we do know is that in that moment, he thought the most important thing was not to correct her, but to affirm her faith in her Messiah and her Savior. What we do know is that when Jesus met those people in that moment of their faith and saved them and healed them, his most important work was their salvation and their healing. Please hear me. I'm not arguing against teaching people truth. What I'm arguing against is, is a pastor who says to a lady, Jesus knows what I'm saying when I say, son, you don't really need to hear the name of Jesus when I baptize you. What I'm, what I'm arguing against is, is, is when someone says, Jesus has done this for me, and we say, yeah, but your theology's messed up in that journey. Rather than just being thrilled that she knew that Jesus was the only name that could save her, I wanted to argue with Wanda and get her to let me do it my way. But for some reason, in her journey of faith, at that moment in time, she needed that tangible moment. And the woman who, who reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment and, and the people who were sick on the side of the road and reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, in that moment, they needed that tangible thing to affirm their faith, what was going on in their heart. The woman said in one, of the, in one of the versions of the story said, if I can just touch his garment, I will be healed. Why? Because she believed it wasn't just the fact that, that he was the Messiah, but that literally in that garment, there was healing. Her reach was declaring her faith. Not a faith based on perfect understanding, but a faith big enough for Jesus to say, you're healed and you're saved. I praise Jesus that his first priority is to save us and heal us where we are at in our faith. And I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna reach people where they are at to affirm their journey of faith with Jesus, to allow the truth to, to come and convict in time, to allow God to speak to, through me at the appropriate moments, but to allow Jesus' full healing and salvation to come in the immediate, in the affirming of their faith. 
You know why this is important for us to understand? Not only because in how we relate to others, but it is important for us to understand because we need to know this as well. We need to understand this as well, that Jesus is meeting us where we are at. Jesus is meeting you where you are at, in your sickness or in your health. In, in, in your doubts and in your fears and, and in your misgivings, Jesus still wants to meet you there and affirm your faith. He is meeting us even, he's meeting us in our, in our truth, but he's also even at times meeting us in our air to affirm us in the faith that we have. This woman was healed that day, but do you know something about her story? And really every healing story in the Bible and maybe you've not thought about this. There are some people that love romantic comedies. I like romantic comedies as well, but I always kind of ruin them also, and my wife doesn't like it because we'll watch the romantic comedy, and I'll say, yeah, that would have never happened. Or, or yeah, they're together now, but they didn't resolve this or this or this or this. You know, I mean, they got a whole journey still ahead of them. I mean, they're probably gonna be fighting tomorrow again. I mean, it's like, she's like, can't you just enjoy it? No, they live happily. No, they don't. They have issues just like us. So if maybe you're, you have a romantic comedy view of the Bible, I wanna apologize for what I'm about to say. But folks, every person that is healed in the Bible eventually gets sick and dies again. Every single one of them. Except for a few handful of people, everybody that lives on this earth, their body breaks down, it deteriorates, and we eventually die. Even those who receive healing in this life, on this earth, eventually they die again. That woman, eventually broke down again. We don't know if it was the same sickness, we don't know if it was a different sickness, but we know she eventually died. And in the final moments of her life, what was the most important thing that had happened? That she had been healed in that temporary moment or that Jesus had met her in her faith and affirmed her recognition of him and saved her for eternity? An eternity where she will ultimately be restored to permanent and eternal health. Jesus may meet you where you are right now and he may bring immediate healing to your life right now. But what Jesus wants to meet you for most of all is to affirm the faith in your life so that you can know that one day, just as the Bible says in Malachi chapter four and verse two, that one day the glory of God that, that destroys the wicked, but the glory of God heals the righteous so that they will have rest for all eternity in the presence of their Messiah. Jesus wasn't worried about correcting her in that moment because he wanted to affirm her decision for Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to meet you where you're at, to affirm your faith, because at the end of the day, when we all come to that place in time, when life is just too much, when we're too much in the midst of the struggles and the trial and the pain and the suffering, when we're at that point of, of, our, of our last breath, the thing that will matter will not be if we got corrected somewhere along the way. 
the thing that will matter most is did Jesus meet us in our faith and affirm that he was Lord of our lives? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for meeting each one of us where we are at. I pray that we will learn to do the same for others and we will praise you that you do that for us. Jesus, I pray that even now as there are some suffering with various illnesses and struggling with various pains and, and, and aches in their body, maybe mentally, emotionally, Lord, meet them where they are at and affirm to them that you are their Messiah and that there is a day coming when the glory of God will give us rest for all eternity. Lord Jesus, may we stay close to you. May we stay in the shadow of your glory until that day when perfect rest comes in the presence of our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.